Hello, this is Mary. And this is Chandler. And you're listening to The Miss Fisher Files. Welcome back. We are talking season three, episode five, Death and Hysteria. And before we get any further, we need to explain some of the background noise. Yeah, uh, so I had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and that sound you hear is my son in the background making little itty bitty baby noises. I know, they're really, really cute. He's really cute. But we figured you needed to know what these noises are. And yeah, it's not us. Yeah. <laughs> We're not just sitting here randomly grunting. This is the first time we've recorded since you've had your baby. That's true. So we were actually holed up here in, in the nursery yeah. with him because it's it's like the least echoey room in the house. So it's actually pretty good for recording, but Except there's there's My the son baby. is not very sleepy today. He's <laughs> he's quite active today. So So yeah. You're gonna hear some little little noises and they're really sweet. But that's what's going on. Yeah. Just FYI. You know, the realities of being a working mom and trying yeah. to make it all work. Exactly. You're, seeing it, you're hearing it in action, folks. Yep. We are just rolling with it. <laughs> um, okay. So this episode, I there is so much more to talk about than the previous episode, Blood and Money, yeah. where we were both like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, I mean, the whole, like the overarching theme of how women's women's issues and women's health issues are treated and wealthy women uh-huh. and how they can be scammed and yeah just the concept of hysteria my, is so well, interesting to me and i kept reading that as death and wisteria <laughs> which kind of fits because of it the totally setting fits. so i'm like hysteria under the wisteria yeah like, it completely fits yeah um my notes here are hilarious because there's just a lot of all caps exclamations <laughs> You know, and I think the theme here is bonkers rich ladies plus snake oil equals cuckoo bananas. <laughs> it's very PC of you. I know. I'm being so flippant about, but I, I feel like that's part of the, the heart of this is that the people, you know, there's a character here who's really suffering from mental illness and the stigma of mental illness, and that is Jemima. But she's being overshadowed by all of these these wealthy women who some of them I think are just looking for attention or looking for getting laid or mm-hmm. there's all these weird motivations here. And then there are all these people who are looking to cash in on this on, right. on both the actual mental health aspect of this and also the vulnerable, lonely, rich ladies part of this. So there's so, I feel like there's so much to unpack and I know I was mm-hmm. just super flippant about that, but <laughs> I feel like hysteria, the label, is like Ugh. sort of the mental equivalent to IBS. Yeah. The digestive. Or fibromyalgia. Ca- like, like it's a catch-all for something they don't really understand. Yeah, yeah, fibromyalgia is that way too, like okay. chronic pain issues. Yeah. And that's another thing where women are told that their pain, yes. their symptoms are all in their head. Yes, that's true. That's the modern day equivalent. Yeah. And hysteria is such a throw. Even by even in the 1920s, it was a throwback. They didn't. Um, I was reading about this. They did not take it out of medical terms until 1980 or something. Oh, nice. Like they were still using it in certain places. I am shocked. I tell you, shocked to <sighs> yeah. hear this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and in hysteria, is, the root is hystera, which is Greek for womb. So well, you you oh it, yeah, and that's the whole thing with the, the wandering, wandering womb. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the womb has been brought up at least one other time in this series. Well, the so. wandering womb thing apparently dates back to Plato. Oh, really? Yeah. Thank you, Plato. Okay, why on earth and how on earth does a womb wander? I wonder. I don't know, but men sure are sure of it, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of the Greeks, why why do we have to have our patients at this spa treatment thing? Why do they have to all dress up like vessel virgins, <laughs> frolicking yeah. in the meadow like dryads? They, with crow's feet. I know. I'm, I, I, I'm very curious about that. They definitely have sort of costumes for different aspects of the treatment. Um, now here's the, here's the time where we will frolic around a maypole and <laughs> go use a vibrator that doesn't work. Mm, I, well, it would have. Well, it, it, it worked, just not for the... Oh, my goodness. That vibrator. Terrifying. <laughs> this oh, is my the God. Most terrifying appliance I've ever seen. And yeah, yeah, I wrote that down. That vibrator looks terrifying. <laughs> oh what was that gosh. little like rotating comb attachment? Like, what is that supposed to do? It's really, really scary looking. I do love that they're in uh, Jack's office at one point questioning somebody and Franny is playing around with the attachments. Oh, and she's right. like, yeah. unscrewing and screwing things back in like, oh, what does this do? <laughs> Which I love. But that thing is so scary looking. And uh, yeah, that's what they look like. You know, they really pulled a punch there on the the death of this woman because all of the electrocution burns were on her hands mm. and not anywhere else. I don't think she'd gotten there yet, right? I, I guess not. They totally could have gone there, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Ooh, no, yeah. I'm glad they didn't. I know. <laughs> no. There sure were a lot of very large undies. Yeah, yeah undies, undies then. were what? very different then. Yeah, I can't, I guess, I guess if you're wearing a dress... You can wear those, but sure. I'm, I'm just trying to picture stuffing those into a pair of jeans now. <laughs> right. I, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't I work. don't think it would be very practical. I actually wear something like that. They're like petty pants. Oh. So under skirts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I really enjoy those, but I also wear regular underwear. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just, it would feel so loose and like commando-y. I just, bleh. yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I guess if that's what you're and used high to. high waist, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm good with that. That's fine with me. It's just, it's, they're real big. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm glad to live now. People don't think our wombs are wandering around, which is nice. Right. Well, they diagnose us with all other, all kinds of other things yeah. that are equally ridiculous, but you know, we're making some progress. Yeah. My um, husband walked in the room while I was watching this, rewatching this for, for my notes. And he said, oh yeah, the death by vibrator episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So did you do any research on like the history of vibrators? I did or not. Any... I, I conf- I'm going to play the baby card here and okay. confess oh, that yeah. I didn't have time for that. That's a big card. You, you play that all you oh, want. Oh, I'm milking it. <laughs> yeah. Do, yeah. Literally. <laughs> to, yeah. <laughs> to mix my metaphors. <laughs> um, I did do some research because this is something I have found interesting for a long time. Um so we are coming out of Victorian times yes. in this episode. I mean, when this the show is set. And so the Victorian era was known for its like sexual repression. Mm-hmm. But and, like weird, kind of like the weird fetishes you see in Japan. Yeah. Like all that repression led to some weird kinky stuff. It always goes somewhere. Totally. Yeah. And it may or may not be healthy. Even Aunt P, who's kind of a Victorian throwback. I mean, we're in her house here, and all I could do, that scene where they're all gathered around the piano, all I, I just wrote down Elton John's Victorian Piano pa- Palace. Like, <laughs> it's She's got the ivory-colored piano. I mean, it's... 
Yeah. It's such an odd throwback. And even the psychiatrist looks like a historical reenactment character he's playing Freud. So perfect. I actually made a note. Like, I he's look, the central I, casting Dr. guy. Dr. Samuels love 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 the actor they got for this part. He's perfect. He I just I was like giving him all kinds of side eye because I'm like they just went to central casting and they're like who is the most ridiculously Freudian? He's so good. He's so perfect. <sighs> he's 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 like exactly who they needed for that role. But he's the only also thing like, he's missing is the German accent. Like <laughs> But he's also, he's endearing. Like he clear, he, he seems to really care about his patients when he sits down with them and talks about how he's basically rescuing these women from castration, from like female castration. I, I mean, I have more sympathy for him Yeah, because he's trying, he's, he's recognizing what could happen elsewhere and trying to avoid that. It's true. I am someone who's extremely skeptical though of hypnosis shall we say and Mm. and and i just i don't know i couldn't help but roll my eyes when he's like snapping his fingers and they're instantly under his spell and i'm like ah come on i have never personally been hypnotized nor have i but i don't know i think there's something to it i'm not i'm not going to rule it out entirely i don't know it just it's it seemed such like a movie moment like he clapped his hands and suddenly she's clucking like a chicken like i just It's definitely good for TV. That's for sure. But I don't know. Maybe it works. So, um, yeah, but he's trying. So I appreciate that about him. He yeah. actually cares about the well-being of these women and sees what could happen elsewhere with, uh, what's his face? Dr. Per? No, no. The other doctor. Dr. Littleton. Littleton, yes. Jemima's dad. Um, and Jemima, poor Jemima, she's always crying. Like that actress must have just, I don't know if they put some makeup on her face to make her look like she'd just yeah. been sobbing hysterically that for like, woman. not even yeah. hysterically, ha <laughs> not hysterically, uh, <laughs> just sobbing, just crying yeah. like constantly. Um, so it's not until the end that she has like a fresh face that doesn't have tears rolling down it when they're headed to yeah. Sweden or no, Switzerland. That's she's got going. good hair though. Does she? Yeah. She's got these <laughs> kind of like. Again, with this whole Greek look, she's got like these little pin curls and then oh, yeah. her, her hair kind of drapes down below that. It's, yeah. Hmm. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Back to the diagnosis of hysteria. So um, this is a very popular diagnosis in London mm. uh, at the turn of the century. And it was mainly wealthy women coming in with different... Uh, I don't know, different ailments. That and have, that's who had, <clears throat> as now, that's who has access to healthcare. Right. Yeah. So, same, same deal. Yeah. Um, and so these doctors would stimulate the clitoris manually. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That was the um, diagnosis or the prognosis. What, what do you call it? Uh, prescription. Yes. That was the, their prescription. I got a prescription they're for like, you, lady. Yeah. They're like, hang on, let me take care of this. Lie back. And... That's what they did. Well, hot damn. And they call it like a volcanic uh, expulsion of energy or something like that. So basically an orgasm. It, yes, that was it. That was what they were trying to achieve to ease whatever this ailment was. Um, and Well, who doesn't need a little release now I mean, again? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. It can sometimes be exactly what is needed. But, <laughs> um, but I, I don't really want to go to a doctor for that. So... Yeah. The vibrator is a result of this practice, and it's actually because a male doctor 
was getting carpal tunnel. From, ha! For real. Oh my God. This is why they came up with this contraption. That's hysterical. Was to I just hum- said it again. I, I can't. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's so, it's so worked into our language. Yeah. That I'm trying to recognize that. I obviously have already said it in this podcast, but and me. right. It's really hard to get out of but, our language. Wow. So yeah, that's no. where so it came from. The, yeah. The um, vibrator was not. And then every woman is like, yeah, I told you you couldn't hack it. <laughs> But like the idea that this thing that pleasure that women find so much pleasure in was not even created for us. It was to create right. created to help a man. Well, and like, I think I think there's something else to unpack here too, where they're only just now really starting to study the clitoris as an organ and how it is unlike male configuration. It is its only purpose is pleasure. Is pleasure. I know. Yeah, we possess this thing. Yeah. It's one that it's purpose. Only job. Pur- you had one job. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing to yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. No, I, uh, I I like that a lot. I take a lot of comfort in that. Like, I have a thing that you don't have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just for fun. There's a, There was a... <laughs> Amen, kid. There, There's a little um, French animation that I should see if I could try to find. It. It's about what the clitoris does and it shows like a little drawing of one like hmm. and like the two little legs that it has and it's like walking around and <laughs> like here's my job and it's all it's that. so great <laughs> yeah i would like to see that video please yeah <laughs> um let's see oh another the, so the reason that this whole um shop has been set up at aunt p's estate is because arthur died her son yes and I'm really, I'm sad about this. I'm sad about how it was handled. Like he's just poof, gone. I guess obviously the actor wasn't interested in coming back. I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I felt like Arthur was an important enough character um, and an interesting enough one yeah. that I wanted more of that before they then killed him off. Yeah. So I'm, I was and disappointed. And also just like I, there was no explanation for it because he obviously had some cognitive developmental disabilities they said heart problem like he had a bad heart and that's what killed him but that that was all tacked on later like yeah 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 i and it was said by one of the women who was not very um sympathetic in any way yeah Yeah. i love that they got that portrait of him though because that's so what they would have done yeah that portrait was so great it is and and it's used really well with aunt p not being able to face it and like turning turning it down yeah yeah the they kind of delve into aunt p a little bit more in this episode which i like and then Mm -hmm. her relationship with Friny is, you know, developed a little bit more. And then also um, with Bert and Sess. I know. I Twice I wrote, ah, Bert, heart, heart, heart. I know. I know. I love that they have this new kind of relationship, Bert and Aunt P. And he's able to talk to her in a tough love kind of way that no one else can. Well, he can kind of tell it to her straight. He Mm -hmm. doesn't do the whole deference to rich old ladies thing that everybody else treats her with. Yeah, so that conversation that they have when she's like polishing silverware at the dining room table, and I loved that shot. I wrote that down. That when she's when like the light is shining through the crystal that's all lined up at yes. the table, and it's all centered with the windows there. And I just thought that was such. I thought this whole episode was beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. It was really cinematic. Like it is. You know the scene at the end where um, Jemima is up 
on the the tower thing. Yeah, up in the bell tower, and the the, the shot just kind of sweeps up there, and it's this really long camera pan. Like they yeah. don't they don't cut to another camera. They do the whole thing in one long shot, and usually I don't even notice that stuff, but I actually noticed it. And, right. And I thought it was really beautifully done. It is very cinematic. You're right. Um, there's also sort of a gauziness to this whole episode because yeah. of the light, the quality of the and light. And kind of the diaphanous fabrics mm-hmm. that are everywhere. And and the, there's all the stained glass from right. Rip and Lee. Yes. That, it's which so beautiful. Before. Yeah. yeah. Um, they also use light in an interesting way. And I'm trying, I, I feel a sense of shame that I can't remember the exact scene. But there is a scene where Phryne and Jack are looking at something close together and the shadow on the wall has them smushed together as though they are in an embrace kissing. Oh, I didn't see that. Which is 1000% intentional. Wow. Um, Yeah. So light is very important in this episode. Yeah. And done very well. Well, now you've been to Rip and Lee. I have. Which is awesome. So this episode is particularly fun to watch now. Um, So Jojo and I took a tour of it and we had to take a tour unfortunately because oh yeah it, we have they just don't let you wander around no they do on the grounds so oh, that okay. was really fun That's so good. i snooped around um so that was and really so fun. is the conservatory actually part of that yeah it okay. is and it's stunning it's just off of the pool and um they've got a huge it's called a fernery 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 oh. which is like it's a thing so I it's think not it's, really a green it's not glassed in is no it? not okay. at all it's like wooden slats that form yeah. a, a sh- some shade and it so that's like an how. upside down picket fence around yeah. the doorway yeah kind of did a little drawing yeah, yeah. where Franny's framed by yeah. i love that yeah, shot yeah. yeah it's like teeth almost. it is like teeth i know <laughs> yes i remember thinking that as i walked under them and of course it's, walk it's forever ruined for me by the whole like big bad wolf bit from yeah. the first season like that was terrifying but this is the yeah that's the first time we see that fernery yeah and so it's definitely got like an uh it's the murdery fernery <laughs> the murdery the murdery <laughs> and now they stash their vibrators in there yeah and conveniently leave a sprig of what was it button lemon lemon button fern or something yeah or... i love that they find this piece of like a plant on the floor and they're like, let's go to this plant yeah. and then we'll find what we're looking for. Yeah. So that's such a specific thing. And that looks like such a ordinary looking fern. Like there yeah. would be like 50 of them in there maybe or. Right. Like you wouldn't just, X would not mark Third the spot. Third fern from the left. Right. <laughs> but I love that they pull out the box, which is nicely labeled and Franny makes a joke. I yeah. wish all of our evidence was labeled this way or something like that. It's pretty funny. Oh, I think all our murder weapons should be labeled. Yeah. Yeah, agree. I think it's hysterical that scene when she and Mac are trying to clue the boys in oh. just what this thing oh, is for. Like the morgue scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's the top. So I have a section in my notes called scenes and the morgue scene is so good. All caps. Oh, yeah. I. Yeah. So Constable Martin in the background there. Oh. Who's just oblivious? And Jack has this eager school, like innocent schoolboy look on his face, which like, is so odd. Because shouldn't it shouldn't it be like the opposite? Shouldn't they be reversed in that? He well, I think he just doesn't know what they're dealing with at all. And and I also think he's like trying to be extra innocent right there. I don't know. And then Franny is very delicately explaining. It's for very delicate parts of the body. Oh, and he's like, oh. 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 <laughs> But they both, both she and Mac, then he says, oh yeah, uh, I saw all manner of things when I was ordered to raid a Chinese brothel. And both Phryne and Mac kind of like 
she, I don't know, they like belly like up nudge, to, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, and they like belly up to the bar, like, like tell do us more. Tell. <laughs> oh, do tell. I have a friend who can enlighten you. Oh, I, yeah. So funny. Yeah, that whole scene is just fantastic. Yeah, and Mac has some great lines in that. With the, <laughs> it's men like that that make the rest of them look reasonable. Uh, yeah, Constable Martin. So he was gone from this episode um, off filming San Andreas with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Oh, you're talking so, about Hugh. Yeah. Yeah. Did, yeah. So Hugh is not in this episode, and right. we have Constable Martin He's instead. He's hanging out with The Rock. Right. Yes, and he, he is showing himself to not be at all a feminist. And so kind of cartoonishly. So yeah. Yeah. So like, okay, we get it. Right. And so at the very beginning of the episode, when Franny comes to the murder scene or the scene of the death Mm -hmm. um, at her aunt's, we have totally shifted now in how Jack is treating Franny in terms of the investigation. No, no, no. You're going to let her in. This is her purview. And he waited essentially for her. It used to be that she was getting in his way and meddling, you know, and, and he was constantly pushing her away. Uh-huh. And, now, and now he's welcoming her and like Miss Fisher at last. And yeah. And then when I the constable it. is getting after dot for looking for evidence in the hallway and she's like, Oh no, no, I'm here with Miss Fisher. And Jack's like, Oh no, she's with Miss Fisher. Right. It's all good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Miss Fisher's going to help me question people and, uh, listen to Miss Fisher. And he does not like that. Constable Martin. Oh, pobrecito. And so, Yeah. He says, uh, I've never needed a woman to do my job. Don't know why I'd start now. Uh, yeah. And that's when Mac has her great line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then Dot later, Dot's like, I thought you didn't need a woman to do your job. And he said, oh, there's a naked lady in a car. <laughs> What's with the, there's so many naked ladies in this. That scene when Aunt P and Phryne and they're all f- threatening to strip down. I'm like, come on, do it. I know. That would have been so great. It is really funny because you don't see it coming, especially Aunt P. Yeah. So sometimes Dolores, so, sometimes, that's her name, right? I think and so. And Dr. Samuels is like, not now, Dolores. <laughs> it's like, so this funny. is her thing. This is her thing. She's about to perform, but then to spin it and have Franny. Aunt P and, sometimes does this. Like, like, remember with the whole thing with the flummery and the friendless gal who had the, yeah. who had the baby? She stepped up. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, she will. So it's like she's a, she's a closet feminist (laughs) she's kind of a wild card that one yeah yeah um can we talk menswear for a minute you bet um i this is so there's some good menswear in this there's also some horrible men so our (laughs) our central casting knockoff freud um is wearing a very wide double-breasted suit and i really do not like double-breasted suits although it works on eric the lawyer Mm, mm -hmm. this is I don't know if it's the pinstripe or maybe the the buttons on the double breasted are closer together, but it somehow works on him. And he's got that great skinny tie that I love. And the evil Dr. Littleton, or is he really evil or is he just from another side of the profession yeah. and doesn't, I don't Misguided. know. Misguided. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure he's really evil. Um, although I love the psychiatrist fisticuffs yeah. TM. <laughs> That he, I mean, they even are like holding their hands up, like they're like pugilists. Put up your nukes. It is ridiculous. <laughs> His outfit is so great because he's got the, um, he has that beautiful little striped gray pocket square mm. and a velvet, black velvet waistcoat with gray piping that matches the jacket. Wow. And it's gorgeous. But what I really wanted to say is that this is, to my knowledge, the only episode where a piece of menswear is a clue. <gasps> True. The, uh, 
barbell. The collar bar. Yes, it is a piece of evidence Mm -hmm. in this one. Yeah. That's true. And there are some really, I don't know, I I felt like overall there were some really unusual pieces of menswear in this. Like, Hmm. not just the, the tie bar, because I don't think I've seen anybody else in this show wear one of those. That was a really unusual... Mm-hmm. I mean, not that it was necessarily an unusual piece of menswear. It's just nobody in this show has really chosen that to wear yeah. that I've noticed. Huh. Um, but also, you know, that the velvet waistcoat with the piping. Also, when Eric is... No, not Eric. Who's the other guy? Dr. Perkins? Yes. When he's being um, interrogated, he's wearing this suit that almost... It's shiny enough that it almost looks like shark skin suit, mm. but it's not quite. But the lapels on that are so extreme. They're so pointy that it's kind of jarring to look at. And then, um, and then Mr. Knockoff Freud's, (laughs) (laughs) um, he's wearing sort of a knit sweater vest when he's when he's talking to uh, Jemima under hypnosis and she's on the, she's on the veranda in the chair and it looks, I guess it's period, but it's so odd that he'd be wearing that. Hmm. It almost looks like it's made of synthetic or something you'd get at Banana Republic <laughs> because it's such a fine knit. Huh. I don't know. Okay. It just jumped out at me. Huh. No standard menswear in this one, it seems like, except for Jack's, you know, endless trench coat with the right. maroon lining that we've seen a million and a half times. We've got Burton's S, but they're just wearing their... Normal things. They, those poor guys, they don't get a costume budget. Nope. No, they do not. But they really blew the costume budget on the ladies on this one. There were oh, so yeah. many costume changes. Yeah. And not just Franny either, but um, so like uh, Har- I loved Harriet's tweed suit with the um, the little yellow blouse that she wore under oh, that. Did yeah. you see the pleats that were yes. the triangular pleats that were around the yeah. collar? thought that was really interesting. It actually reminded me of something that Lore would wear, the, the gal we met. You at, know, that's really funny because I think of her with the character. Like yeah. They look very similar. Their, their body type, their hair. Yeah. So Winter's Lore is her Instagram handle, and she's a Miss Fisher fan. She's mm-hmm. been at the con both years now and um, actually did a presentation on lingerie. And she makes her own many of her own clothing items yeah. for her reenactment costumes. And they're just stunning. They really know. are. But yeah, she looks a lot like Harriet, mm-hmm. Harriet Edwards. And so I thought and of like her that too. That tweed suit is something I could totally see her mm-hmm. wearing. I think it's the hair too, the, yeah. the way it's pinned back. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny. Shout out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved, have we seen, so the red, the red polka dot, coat that no have we so we've not seen that before no we have not we have we see, seen the hat before um that she wears with that i kind of, think it i think it may have come up in um the military in the captain compton episode it seems like because it's got those really dramatic feathers sticking oh out. yeah 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 very uh foofy feathers and okay, so I'm flipping over. I finally remembered to bring my costume exhibition guide. So yeah, it's but that's called a different hat. That yeah, the hat is in here somewhere, and I think it was worn with that coral velvet um, car coat that she wore in Death and the Maiden. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is the first time we've seen this maroon coat, and it's called the maroon spot fill coat, and it's. A similar pattern to many of the the drapey long car coats that yeah, she's, she's worn got in the kind past. Yeah, she's got the handkerchief hem thing going on. 
and it's got the pleats or ruffles on the sides. Um, I also noticed when she is feeling under the underside of the desk to find the key that's hidden there, yeah. you can see the sleeves and there are ruffles in alternating oh. colors. So there's that cream, like a crepe de chine that is the the like lining the under, yeah. yeah, of the coat. And then it's also what Franny is wearing. She's wearing um, kind of ivory trousers and a camisole. Mm-hmm. And so it's that same creamy color. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really nice. And it just has that drape. Like, you it's know, this yards is yards and yards of yes, fabric in there. It would have cost a fortune. Yeah. And it also features that semi-drapey scarf thing. Yeah. She's all about the not very functional scarf. <laughs> Yeah, and her other main outfit in this is actually on the ne- the previous page of this book. I I love the pairing with that that dyed straw hat with the with the feathers. It's almost like an entire wing. Hmm. Yeah, it really does look like a wing. Yeah, but it's a know, similar not... construction. She's got these triangular. The dress is it's called the twilight ruffle dress, mm-hmm. and it's like a bias cut mm-hmm. silk sheath dress that then has some ruffles mm-hmm. um, in the center. Towards the bottom, and it's very simple at the top, though. And you can see how simple it is when the the scene where she threatens to remove it. Yeah, um, she's like undoing her stockings. Uh huh. It's so great. Yeah, but um, it's just I don't know that shade of blue is really stunning. Yeah, and then it really works on her. What are they calling the little coat thing? It's a capelet. A capelet. Yeah, and and we've it's, seen that somewhere else. I feel like she's worn it in a different. I episode. don't think so. I think this is the only time she wears this capelet because oh, it's. Okay. I mean, it's so graphically different than everything else because it's it's dots it's like different yeah. shapes or not shapes different sizes of circles that they are kind of interwoven like they do it says lace but this is i think this is a really unusual pattern yeah it's not like anything we've seen it's not you know egyptian or like art deco it's it it's probably graphic yeah. yeah well and she's wearing she's it's not in this photograph here but she's also pairing them with these very delicate lace gloves mm. which are so not practical like no i know but i love them yeah and they've got that almost fish scale pattern in the cuffs yeah those gloves are great yeah. i love how she she whips them onto her shoulder Oh yeah. When they succeed in preventing Dr. Littleton from taking Jemima. Like, ha, you thought you could mess with us. Um, but yeah, those I think it's those two I don't know, there is a third outfit that she wears At that the we end haven't really the, seen. And it's got that kind of very dark emerald green capelet or jacket. It's like a small bolero yeah, like a, jacket, maybe. Um and but when it catches the light, it's obviously got some sort of iridescent mm-hmm. business. And then it absolutely picks up the light shining through those emerald teardrop ear- earrings. Yes. Oh, yeah. The light coming through those earrings is really stunning. Yeah. Um, yeah this is like a burnout velvet pattern or something. It's I think it's velvet, which is it's like over dyed or something. Yeah. Crushed velvet it definitely or something. has um, some, some sort of iridescence and that might be the velvet coming through. Mm-hmm. But it is really pretty it's um and she's you know in her classic franny under layers Mm -hmm. the black trousers the black camisole within this drapey sort of short kimono yeah it's like a kimono adjacent (laughs) kimono adjacent (laughs) i don't really know what you call this thing um but i think these three outfits we don't see or we have not seen before and don't again i could not swear to the last one okay the the coat the burnout velvet coat we Uh may have seen that before but um 
but yeah, definitely that maroon coat and then the, the blue sheath dress and shawl or capelet. Yeah. Are very much just this episode. Like that's, they're kind of the, I don't know. It's like the iconic outfit of this whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like the other, the other woman in this who's really beautifully dressed is Jemima. Mm -hmm. She's got, when we first see her in her Vestal Virgin garb, (laughs) even that is really lovely. She's got this very subtle shawl around her and then she has kind of a spray of flowers at her shoulder. She, her hair is in that sort of Greek loose curled sort Mm -hmm. of deal. And then later she's wearing this lovely, I think it's cotton. I I was trying to, it's like a very, very fine cotton muslin almost dress that looks like it's a jacket, but it's actually attached to Hmm. the dress. The one with the the floral embroidery at the bodice. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what she's wearing when she's up at the top of the tower and Franny goes to get her. But we get some nice, when in her hypnosis scene, we get some nice um, close-ups of that floral embroidery and it is just stunning. It's so beautiful. Um, And it's such a diaphanous dress. Um, Yeah, that's the perfect word for kind of the whole lighting and the, the episode mm-hmm. in general and what all these women are wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and she's also wearing, I don't get a, I didn't get a great look at it because she, it's only, it's just sort of flashed on there for a second, but at the very end, she's wearing yet another diaphanous dress that's hmm. sort of white. Her, she's, she's kind of really depicted as sort of the innocent virgin in this because she's yeah. always in very light pale colors and totally in contrast to Franny, who's wearing her signature dark, bold colors mm-hmm. it's like she is a woman of experience and jemima is this little slip of a thing mm-hmm. who, who is sort of floating through life um yeah clinging to others yeah so the scene on the tower thing mm-hmm. i find so annoying really i shouldn't but i do because she slips not once but twice and i feel like that's well, yeah. a card that you play one time and it's so like you're right. Has there ever been a scene like that where they didn't slip? Right. Also, that ledge is actually very wide. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at it, it's very, very wide. She's in heels, though. I mean, she's in a state, so perhaps she is hysterical. Franny's not wearing shoes. No. And I also bet that they had her harnessed to oh, that yeah. tower. <laughs> They're not going to let Essie their Davis leading... is yeah. valuable talent. Oh, Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. I'm sure there's like a rider in her contract yeah. about that. But I yeah. will happily climb whatever, but you're going to harness me to it. Yeah, exactly. Even if she didn't want it, they made, I'm sure they had to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she comes up to kind of talk Jemima down. But yeah, the slipping twice thing, it was just unnecessary. And like, I don't know, played on that emotion too, too much. They yeah. hit it twice and you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah. You're um, right. Also, when they come down, they they she comes through the front door. They all parade through the front door, and Jemima's got the blanket wrapped around her shoulders. Um, why do they always put blankets around people's shoulders when they've had a traumatic experience? Well, isn't that for a shock? Doesn't your body temperature dip I, or something? I guess, but it's I don't like know. Eighty degrees. I mean, they out still, there. but they do it now too when people have experienced something. Like you always see somebody. I know. You know, well, right I after see t- it on TV. I've never seen it in real life. Luckily. <laughs> but it's yet no. another with these TV tropes, like the like the the hypnosis thing. You know, clap mm. your hands and they're suddenly asleep. Yeah. And any anytime anyone's gone through anything unpleasant, wrap a blanket around them. 
Well, there must be something to it. But I'm surprised they come in from outside because I would have thought the tower, the the entrance to the tower from the ground would, would be, be in, from inside. Inside, yeah. So somebody didn't think that through. I, I don't know, but you continuity know, continuity editor. I didn't. I didn't check the tower when I was there. I should have I'm checked sure the that tower. It's accessible only from the inside. Yeah. I can't imagine. But it makes a really good scene to have everybody parading back in and also also a chance for all of the extra rich slightly bonkers ladies there are yeah there's so many of them that don't have a speaking role right it's like when they come in and they go right past the camera i'm like oh hey who are you yeah i don't know you it's like in call the midwife where there's all these extra (laughs) nuns that are singing (laughs) and they don't have a job and i'm and it's always like sister monica joan who's not in her right mind most of the time, is always amazingly answering the door and turning people away and answering the phone. But there's all these extra nuns. What are they doing? Where are they? Spares. Do they just go away (laughs) until it's time for Compline or what? Sure. Where are the babies that they're delivering? (laughs) (sighs) These things anger me. Yeah, this... My objection to the tower scene is really just a pet peeve. It has nothing to do with the the world yeah. <laughs> um let's see i just yeah i'm i'm the wrong person to be showing this episode to because i just i have so many snarky notes here like all this freud crap <laughs> so i was reading about freud um who obviously had some problematic theories problematic <laughs> especially with the ladies yes however at that time when he was practicing this was like nine late 1800s. He died in 1930. So like in the decades prior to his death when he was pretty famous, he was the only therapist of note claiming that maybe the uh, ailments that women were suffering sexually had been caused by past sexual trauma. Because this was completely not talked about. Like no one posed that theory at all. That was not acceptable. You didn't even think about that. So he was out there saying... You know, maybe but that this is sort is... of the whole crux of his psychoanalysis is that there is, for whatever ailment you might have, that there is some trauma in your past mm-hmm. that maybe has been unexamined or that you're still. I never would have thought of that just being a no-go zone. Like at that at that point in time, you just repressed all of that, and because they're coming out of the Victorian era, yeah. Um, and but so think you about just don't... how how even even today, I mean. It's been kind of, it's been amazing to, to talk to older women in our lives since I've had the baby Mm. and people my age who've, who've had babies or, or even a little bit older, I mean, we're having conversations about like kind of graphic things that happen to women when they're in labor and all this stuff. We're having Mm -hmm. these conversations and, and my husband is like right in there. He's like not afraid to talk about it. He's like, oh yeah. And then such and such happened and blah, blah, blah. And can you believe that this is so common? And so much, like he has done so much research and he's like not afraid to talk about it. But then he'll talk about, he'll try to talk about some of these things to some of his older relatives and especially older female relatives who, and these are people who grew up in Kansas in, they were born in like the 1930s and forties and and it is so uncomfortable for them. And mm. this is all filed under the term, the umbrella term women's problems. Right. And they still refer to it. Even today, it's 2019, and these people still refer to it as, oh, I have women's problems. There's no need for us to talk about it. <laughs> and that's it makes me so sad because yeah. they've been conditioned all their lives to suffer in silence and not and be embarrassed to talk about it when and probably not you know, if they have some sort of ailment, ailment, probably not get treatment for it. Right. No, treatment. right. There's stigma a- yeah. attached to that. And you're just going to 
figure it out on your own or just suffer through silently, yeah. Yeah. which is so terrible. And uh, yeah, you're right. That still happens. Um, and I just, I mean, when you step back and think about how many women have always been on the planet, it's been about half the population. Slightly more than. It's a universal thing. You know, having children has happened to a lot of women. Yep. <laughs> and yet this, the language that and surrounds sexual it. sexual assault has happened to right. a lot of women. All and, of these things are yeah. very, very common. And yet they're just shoved down. We don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, have you watched Mrs. Maisel at all? No, it, it's been recommended to me. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I was hesitant. I I like picked it up, watched half an episode, and then put it down. And then enough people were like, "No, I really love it." That I went back. It's it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, but she, so she's a stand-up comic in the fifties, I think okay. is when it said, or early sixties, and mentions when she was pregnant, and they yank her off the stage, and they're like, "You are not allowed to say the word pregnant." Wow. And you know, previous comics are up there saying every four-letter word you can imagine, right. but you can't say, pregnant. but you can't say pregnant. And that was, I was like, oh, that, yes, that would have been a thing. I mean, think about like Lucy and Desi had to have separate beds. Right. Um, in the, in right. television programs, they could not, the right. couple could not sleep in the same bed. The like morality they're just, code. Right. Well, or, um, Maria Von Trapp, the Von Trapp singers, uh, like the, the actual one, not, you know, Julie oh, Andrews okay. playing her, the actual Maria Von Trapp, she toured the world as a singer in the, I don't know, 1950s, 60s. And, at one point she was touring with her, I think she was pregnant with her last child. And at that time, no theater in America, at least she was touring, I think in New York, no theater would let a pregnant woman up on stage. (laughs) And she was like, Oh hell no, you're not going to cut my tour short just because I'm pregnant. And she was very pregnant. She was like eight months pregnant or seven months pregnant, quite you can't visibly. hide that with like a poofy dress. Well, but she did. So <laughs> oh, she really? got, she had a costumer who worked with her <sighs> and the costumer was a woman and said, Oh, there's a secret to this. All you have to do is make the bust really, really big. Hmm. And from the audience, if as long as the bust looks proportional to the rest of your oh. body, they'll never notice. And so oh, wow. they just gave her this tremendous rack huh. in her huh. in her dresses, and it hit her pregnancy right up almost to the end. Oh, that's interesting. And she just kept performing. It yeah. was like, screw you, I'm performing anyway. Do you know of Cardi B? I know like of her. Singer, rapper. Yeah. Um, she did something kind of like that. She performed on Saturday Night Live and had not officially oh, announced, announced her that pregnancy. she was pregnant. Yeah. And so her first set... Um, and I watched it bel- like a few days later yeah. after this had hit the interwebs. And um, so the first set, she wears something like that. Like yeah. it's, it's very, it's hidden really well. Yeah. And then her second set, they start with this tight shot. They're like right on her face and her upper body. And then gradually through the song, they pull back. And then, and then it's revealed it. that oh, she's wow. pregnant. It, it was kind of cool. That's I kind of loved it. it. I know. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. So back to this show. <laughs> Actually, no, there was another thing I was going to mention uh, related to a current show. Oh, yeah. So I finally watched um, the short documentary that won the Oscar this year Oh, called um, Period, End of Sentence. Yeah. And it's on, I don't even remember where I found it. I feel like it was partly produced by Netflix. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's on Netflix. But um, it's like 25 minutes. It was really interesting because it's set in India mm. and they pose the problem that 
Indian women and girls so often stop going to school. Oh, when because, they get their periods. Yes. Because, because there's no supplies available There's to no them. supplies. There's a lot of shame. There yeah. is so much shame that mm-hmm. becomes so apparent. I mean, the girls are like tittering. Like they can't even talk about what they experience. And then boys are just like, <laughs> and yeah. some of them, oh yeah. And they, they like pose the question to um, a bunch of teenage boys. And they're like, like <laughs> what's, <period. laughs> what's menstruation? And one of them's like, oh, I think that's a problem that happens to women. And it's like, very clearly a problem and ailment like a something really bad that only happens to women but they don't ever have to think about it but just knowing that that is happening right now yeah (laughs) and in a a country that in many ways is very developed right um uh, it's just so i don't know it's sad it's revealing it's and the fact that something something like that that happens to literally half of the population yeah is is the one thing that's a barrier to getting an education? Education. My God. So the premise of this documentary is this man builds a machine that will make pads. Wow. So they bring in cotton and he shows these women how to use the machine, how to make the pads, their disposable pads, which, and they're talking about what women are using other than that. And it's like terrifying and disgusting. Oh yeah. And then also disposing of them is horrifying too, because they, and it's just all shame. It's just like coated in layers and layers of shame. Um, so they're showing the, the women how to make these pads and then they go around selling them. They're also talking about buying pads from, um, a shop. It's always a male shopkeeper. Right. So it's just a really traumatizing experience all the way around. Right. And so they are now employing women who have never been employed before. They're actually earning money making these pads that are then sold to women at their door. Like women going, to women, ha- yes. not having to. It's amazing. It's really worth watching. It's yeah. 25 minutes, won the Oscar. That's highly, great. highly recommend. That's but great. but yeah, it shows just that that's that the stigma and the shame is still there. The fact that we're still talking about this, that this is still something yeah. that's not solved is is crazy to me. It's yeah. Yeah. I don't, all the rest of my notes are really random. Like, yeah, like mine the are Elton too. John's piano palace. And yeah, tell me, tell me more about that. I just, that scene, that shot just struck me as, I don't know, <laughs> Uber Vegasy gay, uh. gay slash old lady. Like there's, yeah, it's gay there's, slash old lady. There's a fine line between old lady and, and old queen. <laughs> I just, perhaps there <laughs> is. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Um, footnote on that. Mm. So back to Ripley, yeah. the actual estate yeah. in the now times. Um they used everything that's in that estate currently. Like they oh, just really? shifted furniture around. That is all. It is all there. I could wow. identify yeah, the piano's there in the same spot. Um the room that is Dr. Samuel's office is like a den and they have a monopoly board set up right there wow. now on the tour and yeah, so they just use what is already in the estate and move it around to film their scenes. Well, so it is it is as you see it. It basically. does help that that the Victorian era there was de rigueur to kind of over decorate everything. <laughs> so they'd have lots of furniture yeah. to be able to move around. Oh yes, yes they do. Lots of lampshades, lots of There were all I just there were all these little tiny details in the background that I really noted in this one like when Harriet is when dead Harriet's corpse is in that chair, I was like, oh, sad Harriet's dead. Oh, but look at that nice little woven wool throw under her. 
<laughs> with the little brown and beige triangle pattern. I thought that was quite nice. Um, and also, I wanted to ask you if you noticed this when you were actually there. Um, the front doors have those stained glass. I I was I paused it and I was trying to look at it and I I think one of them. I don't know what's on the right-hand side because it was sort of overexposed with the, the shot. But on the left-hand side, I was looking at the picture of the figure that's mm. there. And it said King Richard. Oh. Like Richard the Lionheart? Maybe. Okay, so... Is there a reason for that? Uh, Do you remember full that? disclosure, <laughs> we, we were forced to take a tour to see Ripon Lee. Yeah. Which we did not want to do. And I will confess that we were probably the world's worst tour attendees oh, because yeah. we were just snooping everywhere but where the tour guide wanted us oh, so and he was a volunteer missed... this is a national trust property yeah. so these are volunteers taking you on the tour and we were terrible like we didn't want to know what he was telling us yeah. we wanted to know only miss fisher related things <laughs> so and funny. he was taking us to like every little part of the estate that did not end up in the show. And so we were snooping our noses. They need to get a clue and have the Miss Fisher they tour. They really should. They They'd really, make money hand over I fist. I know. I know. Um, I think Miss Fisher tourism, I'm hoping it's going to be more of a thing. I mean, I flew to Australia and paid, you a, did. Lo- paid a lot of money you did. throughout that country. Very happily so, by the way. Because of Miss Fisher. You brung me back souvenirs. <laughs> they had good ones. I mean, really yeah, good there's ones. like good stuff there. Yeah. They should make it a little a little more Miss Fisher friendly. But anyway, we were terrible, <sighs> terrible tour people. I'm a terrible um, tour person anyway. And so I'm sure all of that was gone through. I'm sure that we learned every little fact about those. Because we stood in that entryway for 20 minutes. And Jojo and I were just dying. Because we also, here's the other thing. Directly after this tour, we had to book it cross town to have lunch with Carrie Greenwood. Oh, so that was so you that was a big like, day. We yeah, couldn't yeah. linger, and yeah, so yeah. we were like, "Let's get to the bathroom where John Andrews dies," and we had to um, persuade our tour guide. We're like, so we really want to see that bathroom. And he's like, oh, I'm really not supposed to take anyone in there because they're using it for storage. But he let us go in. That they are, good. in fact, using it for storage. And there were some hat boxes or something very quaint in the way. Um, because I was ready to throw myself on the floor in the same pose. I had practiced the pose of John Andrews dead lying on that bathroom floor. That's hilarious. And I was going to do it. And it, there were some hat boxes and some other things in the way. Um, I still kind You're of regret thwarted. not doing that. I also didn't want to get our tour guide in trouble. Yeah. Cause he'd um, already kind of bent the rules he had. for you. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I know where that bathroom is. Oh man. Um Ribbon Lee is the same as it is in the episode and they just moved furniture and it's a really beautiful place. Yeah. So. It's got such beautiful light mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. And so many of those Victorian places are often dark and, and it looks like that place is not. It looks like there's lots of beautiful and the the woodwork is kind of lighter in there. Mm. It just seems like also a, the Australian sun, I think it's just brighter oh. there. <laughs> really I think everything takes a beating. Yeah. There, oh yeah. Actually. Yeah, including the people. The high rates of skin cancer. Oh, really? Oh, and government-subsidized sunscreen. You're kidding. No, I'm not. It is reduced. Socialism! Yeah, right. It's not free. It is not free, but I got a giant tube for like $12 of really good stuff. Good sunscreen is really expensive Good sunscreen. Yeah. Yeah, it's put out by the Australian Cancer Council. So very, yeah, very specific to avoiding cancer, not just like, you know... 
I don't know. Basting getting, sauce. Yeah, right. It's not, it's not just like suntan oil. It's yeah. real for real. Um, yeah, but they subsidized the cost of it. So I brought home well, they're doing something a, right. a really unreasonable amount of sunscreen. Wow. <laughs> In your checked bag, I guess. In my checked bag. counts as oh, a liquid. But you know what? I forgot one bottle. And it was a really good bottle in oh. my carry-on. And they had to take oh, no. it from me. And I was so sad. I still mourn the loss of that other bottle of Don't sunscreen. Have, can't you mail it to yourself from the airport? Like I know I wondered about that, but we were already through security. Like it didn't make sense to back up I know. the train but for my sunscreen. <laughs> so sad. It was really dumb. Uh anyway. Yeah. Australia. Sun. Great. Just the country. It's great. Um, I'm sure I will be yammering about Australia more as we finish this I, I up. I want to hear it. <laughs> okay, good. And we're going to be recording an Australia yes, misadventure. For our other podcast. Our, for our other podcast. <laughs> Please see misadventurepodcast.com. Yes. <laughs> um, there were like two more things I wanted to mention, I think. Um, doot, doot, doot. Yeah, I have other little notes, but it's just not that so, important. Yeah, I don't really have any anything of importance necessarily, but I was going to say I have watched these shows. I know you've only watched season three like once. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched this this all of the shows so many times, mm-hmm. but I have to. I just have to give them props because I still laugh out loud when things happen. Yeah. So like yeah. the scene at the beginning where uh, Constable Martin is saying, "I can uh, take notes at a rate of a hundred words per minute or whatever." That's, that's my, my lovely yeah retentive mind or whatever he says. And Franny kind of looks at Dot and her eyes get all wide like, ooh, look at him. Yeah. It is hilarious. I die every time. It's so good. In fact, I back it up just to watch her eyes go wide again. It's so good. And and on the flip side of that, the the scene at the end where they're singing and Dot and and Bert are sitting next to Aunt P. That mm-hmm. is such a poignant scene. I That was one of the other things I wanted to bring up, okay. how you felt about that scene. It's, I have opinions, and I think they, I think we may differ. I feel like, okay, part of it seemed a little strange to me because there were people in that room who wouldn't have been close to Arthur. And so I'm a little like, what are they doing here? But at the same time, I don't know. I... I love that they tried to make it a joyful send-off mm. to Arthur. Plus, I'm a sucker for Seth singing. Like, <laughs> he does. Anthony, and the weird Anthony knockoff Sharp has a very Freud nice voice. It turned out to be a beautiful singer, but I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, you're, you're he, a therapist. So, but he the, he did the music therapy for Arthur. Oh, so that's, they were that's the true. whole reason oh, that's they're true. singing. I forgot yeah. That. yeah. So there is actually a very good reason for him to be there because that was the song that that Arthur most loved singing as part of his music therapy yeah. that Dr. Samuels did with him. And once again, Bert is the one revealing what took place at that therapy yeah. because Aunt P is like, I don't know, he just came back calmer and I loved that. I don't really know what Dr. Samuels did, but Bert clues, I think, Friny in. It's like yeah. they sang, they sang songs together. I, so, I Overall, I did like the scene because I, I like that, I feel like they found a roundabout way to bring Aunt P out of her shell mm-hmm. about Arthur. Like they brought... They, they didn't focus on, oh, you're sad. Let's talk about how you're sad. Because she obviously didn't want that. So they turned it into a celebration of Arthur's life. Like they brought the pies and mm-hmm. they sang the song and it was still cathartic for her. But it was forced catharsis in front of people. And that's my issue. As well, somebody who true. does not like to cry in front of others, 
Yeah. Even if it's a celebration. Agreed. Um, I, I don't, I did not like that. I thought that that was an invasion of her privacy and I completely see that she needed some help coming out of that shell and maybe mm-hmm. like, yeah, celebrating his life and letting other people celebrate it too. But it looks like, did they not even have a funeral for Arthur? They did have a funeral. She says, um, like I took care of all of that at the funeral or something. Just like she, she's done being emotional. And she probably was not, she probably actually wasn't emotional. At the oh, I'm sure. Yeah. She she's probably, probably in, in like a hostess just, mode. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it, that very often happens. Like grief takes time, and it takes different forms yeah. over time. So, I appreciate what they were trying to do, but I also felt protective of her. Like, don't don't force yeah. her to cry in front of you. Don't force her to go through this grief in the way that you want her to do it. Yeah, I mean, she does. It's, you're right. You're right. I don't know. I was. I happened to be watching this with JoJo uh, a few weeks ago. Was JoJo like, oh hell no? She she. I I think she thoroughly disagreed with my assessment which is totally no, fine but I, can, I mean i'm also <laughs> someone who doesn't who doesn't like to cry and i mean it's different if it's different if it's like a movie like i am a total movie crier <laughs> i'm a total weeper but if it's like actually some grief like yeah mm-hmm. that's hard for me to do yeah um yeah so i i can understand that it is it was also for everybody else around arthur and if the if his mother is making it impossible to even talk about him or mention him in any way. That's hard for others too, who want to celebrate his life or want to remember him. Funerals and, or memorials or whatever, whatever have you, they are not for the person who died. They are for the people living. It gives them something. Yeah. It's closure. Closure, Mm -hmm. something to talk about, something to remember, something that they can actually say, say things out loud. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's the other side of this is that, you know, Sess and Bert knew him too, and the doctor knew him too, and Franny knew him too, and they didn't get a chance to talk about his life because everybody was so afraid of upsetting Aunt Pete. Yeah. So I can see both sides yeah, of this. I can definitely see that too. I just was like, don't make Aunt Pete go through this in front of you. Yeah. But it's it but is also a sweet like scene. it seemed like it was harmful it was being harmful for her to go through this alone because yeah. she was having night terrors and mm-hmm. things and it, it obviously something wasn't working. Right, right. There. That's very true. And it had been it, it wasn't it had been a, a little while. Some time had passed. Yeah. And she was not coping well. Well, and she still had a lot of, a lot of shame about him and not. And, and I'm sure there was a stigma at that time to have a child who was not quote. Right. Normal well, or. They, when she hosts a party, she has him upstairs or something. Hiding away. Yeah, she kind of hid him away from the public. Yeah. Um, and that's what people did then. Right. And it's heartbreaking. So then if that person also dies, then it's like you're twice uh, less likely to want to we celebrate their life. Let's never like, speak of a, this. A, we pretended he wasn't alive when he yeah. was alive, and B, when he's dead, now we just like bottle it, bottle it up and put the portrait down. Man, wasps! I tell Ooh, you, I know, I know. It does not like this everywhere, this and is, I have to say, other their entire that, motto like, is we, "Let us never speak of this let again." Us bottle this up and shove it down real deep. Yeah, oh boy. No, the the cultures where you emote like very effusively let's get some sicilians on the phone exactly so much healthier oh my goodness yeah yeah they might have the embarrassing public argument but they get it all out there (laughs) i know there's a lot to be said for that (laughs) um i guess my, my last comments have to do with the extreme sexual tension in this episode, I wrote flirty McFlirt face. Uh huh. <laughs> so, so yeah, we have that, that trick of the light where they're like embracing, in, embracing, but as they come through the front door and it's when she's wearing that maroon coat, she is like a barnacle on him. I mean, she's wrapped herself. Like no, sometimes she holds his bicep 
as they're walking together. Wouldn't but she's you? Like, well, yes. But she's like wrapped around him. It's like a three-legged race. Oh, my God. is what it is. They're doing a three-legged race. So tell me more about this brothel. And yeah, the very end when she's like, tell me more about this brothel. And he says, he says, uh, find me a more intimate setting. He is rising to her level of flirtation mm-hmm. in this episode. And we, I don't know, it's, it's like game on. Since Murder and Mozzarella. Unleash the fan fiction. <laughs> oh, there is lots. I'm sure there is. <laughs> you never have to worry about that. Um, so yeah. What else? What else? Um, oh, okay. I don't this I don't even know if this is worth mentioning, but when Franny and Aunt P are together in the hallway and Aunt P is asking her why she gave a thousand pounds. So she's kind of grilling her about the check that she wrote, and Aunt yeah. P's like, I don't know, I don't remember doing it, or yeah. you know, it might have been, yeah. There is a handheld camera at that point, and it is so jerky. So why did they make that choice? Th- this is this is yes, this is what I posited when I was watching with Jojo. She had a theory that they wanted to do a tracking shot, but it's at Ripponlee, which is historic, and they maybe In the narrow hallway. Yeah, and they maybe couldn't put down the foundational stuff that you need to have oh, a camera right. actually on a track. Which I think uh, is what you would normally do. I'm not quite sure. I think that's right. But they do have like newfangled ones that are handy cams, so they align themselves so there isn't the ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. But this is so bumpy. And that's I don't get it. Weird. It's like it's like, I don't know. Well, maybe it's like when we're recording our podcast and like we can't get one piece of equipment to work, so we're like, well, just use this one. <laughs> maybe it was the backup <laughs> camera. That's true. Maybe the handy cam part was busted that day. I don't know. But it is super jerky. And yeah. I just can't figure it out and especially when partnered with that sweeping shot up to the bell tower at the end everything else is so like glossy and fluid about this episode and here it's like it's like it's switched into law and order or something you know like it's like (laughs) yeah ripped from the headlines talking about this check that aunt p wrote i don't know it doesn't it doesn't make sense i'm very curious about it and that is all that is all i have do you have any thoughts on our toast Ooh, I don't know. Something about something about universal experiences of being a woman, or just vibrators. <laughs> yes, that's yes. I'll toast to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somebody's upset. <laughs> I I don't really know where to go with this toast, Mary. Yeah, okay. Um. Yeah. Maybe, I feel like it's not going to go anywhere good. Maybe we should just. Toast to the personal massager. Okay. And maybe it was not invented under the most happy circumstances, but I'm not going to complain. It's created happy circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) To the medicinal services of the vibrator. Cheers. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That was our most dignified toast. Oh, yeah. Oh, we are so dignified. Hey, everybody, before I let you go, I just wanted to remind you that registration is still going for Miss FisherCon 2019. And you can find out more about the event, including all the awesome stuff that's going to be happening at MissFisherCon.com. And stay tuned because the next Miss Fisher Files episode is going to have a little bit more about the con, including who this year's special guest is. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Don't forget MissFisherCon.com. We will see you there. 
have such a tendency to just natter on when I'm like uncomfortable. That's like, I have to stop, just stop talking now. 